You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredsBS.com. That's breads and spreads by Fred. I'm recording this episode super late at night, so I'm going to go ahead and run through all the announcements as quickly as I can. Guys, you know the drill by now. If you've listened to this show before, Fred's BS is a fantastic website where you can pick up some delicious baked goods and treat yourself to brown sugar buddies, blondies, brownies. Oh my gosh, it's so much good stuff, including their jams, their BS boxes. There's a lot of good stuff over at Fred's. So if you want to go ahead and place an order with Fred, go ahead and use the email in the description below and let Fred know what you want to order and use No Love Lost in the subject line to get 20% off your order. And if you're looking for other ways to support our show, head on over to the Podcast Jukebox Network and buy yourself some No Love Lost merchandise with a No Love Lost t-shirt and or a Crazy About Kurt t-shirt. So guys, even if you can't support us monetarily, go on ahead. If you haven't already done so, go to iTunes and rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We love hearing from you guys. You all are the best, and we cannot thank you enough for listening. On that note, take it away, Michelle. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are to go back false i mean <laughs> patently untrue we it would be pretty rude we we're not alone today it'd be pretty rude if we didn't go back i no more i'm warning you right now like i'm gonna write an sos in the sand no go back oh we don't have to go back welcome back to no love lost the podcast where we break down millisecond by millisecond no no no, no. each <laughs> Each thing about loss. We break down every hair on Mr. Echo's head. We break down every single grain, every single molecule every, yeah. to the to the subatomic level we talk um, about loss. I am Will Link. With me as always. Megan Salinas. Hey everybody. And as I said already, we're not alone today. Megan, why don't you introduce our guest? We have a special guest. Uh, we've been chit-chatting for quite some time now, uh, actually. We have uh, calling in all the way from the UK, writer and podcaster, Daryl Baxter. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you doing today? Not bad at all. No, I've been really looking forward to this. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, we, we initially tried to get Daryl on a, uh, a while back, um, back for the hunting party, actually, and scheduling, it just didn't work out. Who knew that uh, scheduling uh, from <laughs> another country would uh, be difficult sometimes, but we've made it happen. <laughs> yes. Um, and Daryl, you're over in England, uh, so yeah. let, me, let, me ask you, let me ask you this. Um, lost. Mm-hmm. Did it like did it premiere at the same time over there? Like, was it as big a hit over there as it was here? Like, when did you first become aware of it? So it's a really weird thing how it all happened in the UK. So it first aired on a terrestrial channel called Channel Four, 
and I think it was like a few months after it aired on ABC in the US. Um, so it was that old-fashioned way of like, you know, we were watching episodes of like, say, when it was Locke's first flashback, but you were all kind of like watching it when Ethan arrived. It was kind of like that kind of timeline. Okay. And I kind of only got into it, weirdly enough, in the finale episodes of season one, <laughs> oddly enough. And I first started watching it, I think it was a couple of days before the premiere of season two. So while everyone else was kind of like really just kind of thinking, what is the hatch over like five, six weeks, I think it was. I only had like maybe two days to think, to think what it could be. So um, <laughs> a bit of a short turnaround, really. <laughs> it must have been um, very weird then, like if you were a fan who went to the internet to like theorize and speculate, because that must have been really weird because you were in danger of spoilers then all the time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this was like way before social media, like Facebook and Twitter. So um, there was like a few, I remember, um, like lost forums. And this one, uh, the name eludes me, but it was like very green um, and <laughs> not much to go on there. But um, there was a lot of theories there. And there'd be some times like, like just before the premiere of season two, where I kind of like peek into these forum posts and just see what theories would be. Um, but yeah, it was really a... Uh, I think definitely that period between season one and two a really interesting time because there were so many amazing theories of what was in that hatch. Yeah. I mean, I think I think one of those was like it was a barn with horses for some reason. I'm like, <laughs> how does it even that work? That would have been so funny. <laughs> it was Kate's horse. Kate's horse oh my God, was down yes. in the in the hatch. In some ways, that would have made more sense. <laughs> just like yeah, just speeding out of the of the hill and just seeing like a flock of horses. I'm like, oh, there it is. So yeah. <laughs> What a premiere. <laughs> um, uh, like, it, to me, that sounds really reminiscent, though, of, like, when I was a kid and I'd, like, look up, like, fan art of, like, anime I was a really big fan of because it, by the time we always got anime, it was always, like, usually years after the show had, like, wrapped up in Japan. So, like, there were potential spoilers for how, how series ended and things like that, but because you guys were just a couple... Um, months behind or weeks behind it wasn't as bad of a time gap on that so that sounds good at least so so daryl you um it, it kind of worked out perfect you said one of the episodes you would want to talk about is the one we're talking about today uh mm. question mark and <laughs> and uh, that was the next one uh in the uh, queue for us so yeah timing wise that worked out really well so what was yeah, what is it about this episode just before we deep dive into it, what is it about this episode you really like? I think straight away, it's just that dynamic between Mr. Rekko and Locke. I mean, they're both, of, back in the day anyway, my favorite characters. And I think it was always hinted throughout season two of like those two were going to be meeting up and they were going to be doing something. And in this episode, it kind of comes to a head where you've got these two, you know, on a mission. Well, I say on a mission, Echo's on a mission from his dream. But I just love that kind of dynamic of two, you know, different sides of faith almost. And they're, you know, theorizing like what the island is and how it is guiding them both at the moment. Because, of course, I think you've gone actually now, but I'm going to talk, keep talking anyway, um, is the fact that um, Locke is just has is on minimal faith at the minute. He's, he's just kind of lost it after a few um, episodes and Echo's kind of there now to show him his way. Yeah. Yeah, he's in the middle of a crisis of faith in this episode. 
Um, so like the oh go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I should introduce the episode since now we're getting into it. <laughs> it's um, season two, episode twenty one. As I've already said, question mark, not the word question mark, but the symbol. I'm drawing it with my hand right now. I'm so angry. I'm so angry. But why does that bother you? <laughs> Why does it bother you that it's named I a don't symbol? Know. It's like a symbol with a name. It's not like the prince prince's symbol for his name back in the day. Um, it is written by Lindelof and Coos, so you know it's going to be an important one. And it is directed by uh, Darren Serafina. That name sounds familiar. It shouldn't because this is the first episode he's directed. That I must have made that up. <laughs> um, Daryl, before we get, but like one last question before we really start digging into the episode. The yeah. whole crux of this podcast is that Will unambiguously loves Lost, and I don't. Um, and a big reason for that divide is how the series ended. So. Right. Um, you know, this should also act as our spoiler alert for anybody in case it's your first episode. We spoil everything about this show. So if you don't know how it ends, you're about to. Fair warning. <laughs> what was your take on the ending? Did you feel like it was a positive ending or did you feel like it left something to be desired? Oh, that is a question. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the, the thing is, I I did enjoy the last episode. I think it kind of, it, it tied everything up well, and it up to a point, it explained certain things well. It was great. Now, saying that, I wasn't a big fan of the final season. Um, I could f easily go into an hour rant with you both about the temple um, for so long in season six, but I'm not. But the <laughs> main thing is, they, they, do, they do spend a lot of time at that temple. Oh man, it just, why are they there? It, and <laughs> it makes no sense. It, I, oh yeah, after so much hints and just we get this with Lennon and someone who refuses to speak English. But I'm digressing so much here, guys. I'm sorry. But yeah, I like the final episode. <laughs> I think the final episode for me, what it paid off was these character relationships. And I think at the end of the day, as much as I enjoyed the mystery of Lost, I realized that those relationships were what kept me coming back to the show, and I really fell in love with those characters. So that's why that's why the ending really worked for me. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, because I think, I mean, the only thing that I really kind of thought there should have been more of is when Jack met Locke at the church. I feel like there should have been a much longer meeting there because, you know, Locke showed Jack that he was right about the island, and Jack was kind of taking Locke's place in those last couple of seasons. Well, that's what drives me crazy about Jack, particularly in the early seasons of this show. It's like you are seeing, like, magic in front of you, and you are just yeah. like, nope, nope, not, not buying it. To but be fair, if I saw a smoke monster in front of me then and then that smoke monster took off into the middle of the jungle, I'd also probably be like, nope, 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 and I'd just say nope, 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 all the way back to the beach. And then I'd never talk to anyone again. <laughs> so it, it's interesting. One of the reasons you brought this up episode uh, that you like this episode is because of the relationship between Echo and Locke. And, mm. and it is one of, of unfortunately very few Echo episodes that we oh. backstory episodes that we got in the series. We should enjoy them mm. while we can. And he yeah. is, he became Echo became an instantly like adored character. And I think a lot of that is because, when we first meet him, 
well, he's intimidating but kind of mysterious, but there's still like a warmth to him. And then when we get his backstory and we realize he was this war drug lord, (laughs) warlord, whatever you want to call it, and then he ends up becoming this priest. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's such a rich backstory. I don't know how you don't love this character. Um, like I spent like for some reason my roommate decided to sit down and watch this with me and I spent a good chunk of this episode pointing to Mr. Echo and going you don't understand this guy's awesome this was his backstory from the last episode you should have watched that one with me so so let's get into his flashback here um it opens up Echo is now fully working as a priest and he is he's taking confession and everything this one guy comes in he's confessing a bunch of stuff but then he he exposes the real reason he's there he's got forged id papers and he's delivering this actually to mr echo because mr echo is going to go to los angeles which we don't really know why quite yet in this episode right mm, no. no idea okay i just wanted to make sure i didn't miss that no it i mean it, Echo's a character who is clearly much like many people on the show running away from his past. And I chalk it up to that because start over in America. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um I but- I was I was not gonna lie when this scene started off, I was a little bit afraid that this guy who is clearly a criminal. I, I kind of thought for a minute that he was like going to threaten to like blackmail Mr. Echo and expose him for the the mm. drug lord that he was. And I'm kinda, like on the one hand, I'm kind of glad the episode didn't go down that route because that would have immediately escalated into something really tense and scary. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh man, that would have been cool. <laughs> but instead, it turns out Echo is the one who exposes things. He is. He's got a job in the church, which I I love. This is a character thing, too. He basically has to investigate and expose miracles. So before he goes to Los Angeles, he's got to do this. Like the Vatican wants him to do one last job. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a a, it it almost sounds like the setup to like the nun or something. (laughs) Um, I mean, uh, Dara, that's a great. Uh, that's a, that's kind of a great setup for a character. Yeah, it's it's a great thing with Echo because I think this is a second flashback now, and in the first one, it, his story was pretty much it, it began, it had a middle and it had an end in that one episode with his brother. So with this, it's almost kind of like an epilogue, really, of the previous flashback. He'll kind of like get it into he's doing like this role of being a priest for you know. For Yemi, really, and that's it. But yeah. then, of course, you have got the um, yeah, the, the miracle. And I'm just doing my hands with inverted commas here. The miracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've got that, and then you know, it, it's it's a nice flashback. It, it kind of gets um, again. It kind of ties a nice bow to Echo's story again. Um, but it's also nice to kind of have a you know a certainty as to if the psychic Richard was um, real or fake with Claire, and we get an answer to that, which is good. Do we, though? I don't know, man. I mean, I think we... Do, I mean, well... See, that that's the thing. Look, this, I just and, have more questions. It, it, admittedly, this show plays fast and loose with faith 
and miracles. And I, I, I think, to me, that's something true to, not that I'm a guy who believes in miracles, but that's something like kind of true to life in a way. So, hmm. so when Richard later well, says... I, I have a theory about him. We'll get to it. But yeah, okay, go, well, maybe you go we, ahead. You know what? Maybe we'll build to Richard. Okay. Because before Echo goes to uh, the family's house, he's been told there was this girl who drowned and she was dead and she was dead for quite a long time. Yeah, like um, 20 hours or something like that. So a, a ridiculously long time. And then she she was brought back to life. So this is the miracle. Mm. And the first stop is he goes to the undertaker who performed the autopsy. And I will say this, that tape he plays of like, well, she woke up during the autopsy. That is creepy as oh, fuck. It was chilling. Have either creepy. of you seen the autopsy of Jane Doe? No. No, I haven't. Oh, I have not either. It's it's on Netflix. It's um super creepy setup where uh you know this basically father son mortician team last minute they like really late at night they they get a Jane Doe and the sheriff basically wants them like hey we need to cause a death almost immediately because the circumstances behind this are real shady and weird so like super late at night they're performing this autopsy on this Jane Doe and like things just ramp up and go super crazy and weird from there and so like hearing this autopsy being performed on this tape and the screaming coming out i i was super i was very much reminded of that movie highly recommend it it's on netflix if anybody wants to see it highly recommend it Okay, that's been that's been Megan's horror movie corner. Now we can go back to the episode. I just had to I just had to sing that movie's praises for a moment. So if you like this disturbing tape, see the autopsy of Jane Doe. <laughs> um, but then it's funny because when he does see the daughter, when he goes to the house, I mean, she looks like a zombie. Like she is pale. She is not looking yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, that's all I would need. I wouldn't need to investigate anywhere. I'd be like, well, clearly she was dead. This is not a miracle. This is the work of the devil. <laughs> but now when he gets there, the, the mother is very, oh, the priest. Okay. Yeah. Because the mother, as we already have established, is very into that this is a true miracle. The father is not. And it turns out father is Richard the Psychic. Which, I'll be honest, the first time I watched this episode, I did not recognize him. It had been so long since we've seen him, I, I did not recognize him as Richard the Psychic. This time around, I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah, also, we don't know too many Australian psychics. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so let me ask this there. Do you feel that Richard, because Richard basically says, no, it's not a miracle. My wife is just a zealot. This is kind of a weird payback to me because I'm a fraud. I'm a I'm a psychic who who uh, I'm basically a liar. I'm not really a psychic and there is no miracle and she just had hypothermia and came back to life. Um is he though? I mean because he does put Claire on that plane. Is he is he is he kidding himself? About his psychic abilities, Daryl. I think... Oh, it's a tough one because, you know, there's so much here where he's pretty much blaming his wife 
for all of what's happened to his daughter. And it kind of feels like he's almost, almost like in a way that he's kind of like confessing to Echo in like kind of like the priest in the confession kind of way to kind of like wrap it up from the yes. beginning of the episode in a sense. I feel like he he needs to confess this because it's been on his mind for so long. So I feel like he is a fake, but when it came to Claire, I feel like we something happened that we didn't obviously see in that episode. Something happened to Richard where he was like, wow, I actually have to, get these tickets for claire and do it is that so, the hand of jacob basically <laughs> at play i think so yeah i think so i think if there was room in that season five episode i think we could have seen that you know i kind of came down on a similar theory um where yeah basically this guy is a fraud or a mentalist or whatever but then when he meets claire he has a moment of real clairvoyance and whether you want to chalk that up to destiny or jacob or the fact that there are literal magical places as established in uh, the the Rose and Bernard episode. You know, there is a magical place in Australia. Like, whatever you want to chop that up to, this guy who is a fraud mm. experienced something real, which would very much explain his sort of fanaticism of like, oh my God, this was a real thing. Um, and I've been a fraud all my life. Like the one time I actually do experience something supernatural, I have to do the right thing. Like in my mind, that makes a little bit of sense. Mm. But I don't know. I also feel like this is because when we we watched the the Claire episode, you know, back in season one, and we we had a long talk about what are the ethics of this guy? Why why is he so adamant? Why did he put her on that plane? to get her to that island yeah. filled with people who want to kidnap her baby. <laughs> I was yeah, so confused. Because he's yeah. too much of, yeah, he's too fanatical in her episode for this because what's he gaining in mm. in in her episode? So I, I think he's shortchanging his own uh, abilities here. Or maybe. Or he's been imbued somehow. It also could be just that, like, he doesn't necessarily want to acknowledge that his daughter died. And it's easier to deny his own abilities than to accept the reality that she died for a little while. I don't know. I don't know. There's a there's a lot of different ways we can go, and one of those explanations might just be inconsistent writing. Well, I mean, look. I mean, uh, uh, things change as you write the show, <laughs> but but I think this can all be. I don't think this is, like, a stretch to explain away. You know what I mean? Yeah. It uh, could just be that he just wants the church to leave their family alone. Yeah, like, true. that that could be it. Just, like, mm. yeah, something real weird happened here. Please go. <laughs> Let's not talk about it ever again. But here's the thing. Echo goes to the airport. And he's going to get on that flight to you know, do that famous, something. The famous <laughs> flight to Los Angeles, Oceanic. And the girl shows up at the airport. Which, that's creepy. How did she well, know? It's like one of those, uh, it's um, one of those uh, romantic airport runs. <laughs> except this is the, this is the run of, uh, it's like Love Actually, except it's uh, 
I saw your brother while I was dead run. <laughs> Wait, uh, like, I have to tell you something. No, no, you don't. Like, and this is where, like, I tend to buy a little bit more that the guy actually was psychic. Um, because, like, if he was psychic, I would, it wouldn't be hard to assume that his daughter was also psychically whatever you know gifted or whatever which would explain how and why she just showed up here because we even we the audience don't know what echo's planning on doing in los angeles (laughs) and she knew exactly when and where he was going to be so she shows up at the airport and she tells him like uh yemi says you're a good priest echo's not crazy about (laughs) his brother's name being invoked by this zombie girl. I I think one of the great things about um, Adewale's performance is just every time somebody crosses a line with him, you see that warlord come back. You see that, um, you see that dark past bubble back up. And, you know, cause he goes, you need to be very careful about what you say next. And it shows that even though he's trying to honor his brother's memory, it is still a struggle. Like he's he's still capable of doing bad things when when pushed to it. I think that's just a really cool, interesting character bit. Uh, there's also a nice moment where Libby, alive Libby, interrupts this <laughs> tense situation, Aww. and then um, the girl basically says that he has faith in you. Yemi has faith in you. Um. Before we move to the island, uh, Daryl, is there anything else you want to say about the flashback? I kind of feel like seeing Libby in the airport was really weird and left center. Just she's like, "Is everything all right?" And I just think, out of everyone who could have been at the airport, it was Libby who did the "Is everything all right?" I just found that a bit weird. Um, but apart from that, yeah, that's it a is fine flashback. <laughs> it is weird. It feels like they just want, uh, like, oh, you know, she's about to be dead on the island let's um you know what's funny about as we move to the island with libby i had forgotten it'd been a years since i'd seen this episode i'd forgotten that she didn't die right away which is great because it really turns the screws on michael it, it makes for a much more emotional thing uh it, it's mm. it's suspenseful that she didn't die right away and i'd forgotten that yeah, it's very reminiscent of um, when the Marshal was dying back in season yes. one, where it's like, here's this character who's not going to make it. They know something uh, that's really going to be inconvenient for somebody else in the group. And it's like, are they going to have the chance to you know, bestow that information before they pass away? And it's really tense for a number of reasons because, you know, to Libby's credit, we like Libby. We didn't really mm. know the Marshall, you know. Um, nah. We were more invested in Kate, but we like Libby, and we don't like what Michael's done to her, but we also know Michael. So in in a lot of ways, the stakes are even higher. Although mm. I'll say the suspense in season one is probably a little bit more because because everything is so uncertain and there aren't so many unknowns. But for well, the th- stuff that we do know, like, oh, my gosh. You yeah, think this- the suspense in season one with the Marshalls more suspenseful than I, this? Really? I, I, I think that in terms of, like, as an introduction, it's really cool that there are so many unknowns. Okay. But no, like, 
this is actually probably more suspenseful because, because there would we... be there would be major consequences to yeah. everybody's life on this island depending on whether she gets this information. Exactly. Um. So we begin. We also begin this episode with someone else who's dead too, because Echo's no! building his church, and we see a vision of Anna Lucia. Um. Real quick, Daryl. <laughs> And I don't want to get into a big thing, so I mean real quick, Daryl. Um, what uh, uh, are you pro or against Anna Lucia in general? Uh, <laughs> there is a right answer. <laughs> uh, I'll go with Cotton. No! Thank you. Thank you. Why yeah. am I the only one that loves this woman? I could have learned to love her if she lived. Yeah. I think Same. she was getting to a character. I was. She was. Go- I feel like she's someone whose whose redemption arc was ripped away from us too <laughs> soon. <laughs> well, Daryl, were you shocked when um, you know the, the decision to to kill her and Levy off? Like we we got into a big discussion of it in the last episode about whether or not this was shocking and whether or not this was good for her character or you know all altogether. What were your, what was your take on? these two exiting the show i mean i remember when i first saw two for the road and when you just see and lucia like give michael the gun and you just think oh, okay he's actually gonna do something about this but when he says i'm sorry and then he just does it i mean i couldn't believe it i mean yeah. it was just crazy just what was going to happen and then of course libby just appears and you think oh no it's it's not gonna it's not going to work out well. So I was really shocked. I couldn't believe it. So, of course, like we're into this cliffhanger now. Up to this episode, we're thinking, well, what's going to happen? We've got an episode title question mark. I mean, is that of any relevance to these two? <laughs> They've been shot. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. so Echo wakes from this dream. And in the dream, he has this vision of Anna. And he's told he's got to help John. Yemi's there. Uh, he said there's important work being done. We see Yemi in the hatch. Uh, and John must take them to the question mark. Uh, there are question marks all along the keyboard. The whole keyboard is question marks. All the hieroglyphics um, on uh, on the little countdown thing aren't hieroglyphics. They're also question marks. He's told to bring an axe. <laughs> and uh, then he wakes up next to Charlie. And he immediately starts looking for John. You're right, Daryl. I mean, these, John and 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 echo are really two sides of the same coin like Mm. they are uh this is this is you know the same thing basically happened to to Locke. he had the the boon visions and things like that uh it's very it's very similar it's following a similar pattern Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree i feel like this is well, at the time, I was hoping it's going to be the start of like almost like a Sherlock and Watson kind of like duo <laughs> of this. It was going to be great, so I was looking forward to what this episode was going to bring. And if a certain actor had enjoyed living on Hawaii a little bit more and didn't mm. want to get off of the show, maybe it uh, would have. I would have enjoyed a <laughs> spinoff series where they solve island mysteries together as sidekicks to one Detective Kate. <laughs> um so Sawyer and Jack and Kate are arguing 
because yeah they're they're on their way back to the hatch on their way with back lock. to the hatch with lock <laughs> everybody pointing fingers at each other. and these three once again i mean what a shock they're fighting with each other <laughs> surprise and, <laughs> and then they come across uh, uh michael and michael is wounded and it's like oh my god what's happened uh and they go back to the the scene of the crime. The scene of the crime. And it is a bloodbath. Yeah. Like, it is. Like, then, but Libby's now coughing up blood. Like, it is. Oh, talk about a jump news. scare moment. Like, the, 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 the tape with the autopsy on it, that was, like, really creepy and unsettling. I was not expecting this episode to have a jump scare moment. When she starts mm. coughing up blood, like, I legitimately flinched. I was like, whoa. And, you I know, forgot about that. You know, Michael's spinning his lies of what happened about uh, uh, Ben, how we got out, shot him, you know. Telling tall tales. And uh, Echo also shows up at the hatch. She's praying over Analysia. Uh, uh, oh, and Michael had said that a guy with a gun had come, right? That was yeah. the thing. A guy with mm. a gun had come. That's when Echo meets up with them. They all go to the hatch together. See the bloodbath. Echo's praying over Anna. Um, but Echo, really, he's there with it. I mean, this is horrible. And he cared about these people. But Echo's got another agenda. I I'm, I have mixed feelings about this. Because on the one hand, I, I know that, like, when you lose somebody, part of a way of, like, that you can deal with it is, you know, by getting to work. And... In some ways, Echo might have already been anticipating that something had happened to Anna and Libby, given his dream. And so this was just confirmation that they were gone. And, you know, finding John Locke is a way of, like, you know, preserving their memories or, like, you know, fulfilling some sort of last request, something like that. I, I get it, but, like, I also do feel like there's not enough attention paid to the fact that like they did have a really like they went through a lot of shit I mean, together they spent 48 mm. days separated from everybody else basically like in yeah. a smaller group and the Tailies. i just i don't necessarily feel like enough time was devoted to him mourning it was like yeah he says a prayer for her and then it's like okay peace out bye <laughs> I i've agree, got stuff yeah. to do <laughs> megan there is a button that needs to they need answers because that button's keeping the world from and nobody ending. presses the button this entire episode <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> so i get it like but i don't know i have mixed feelings about this daryl do you are do you feel like they gave enough time for him to mourn or do you feel like this needed a, a few more beats it it was so quick i i couldn't believe just how quick like echo just went my God, she's dead. Let's do a prayer. Oh, no, I've got to get Locke. And that's it. That, that's <laughs> it in the space of a few minutes. And um, they're all kind of like, you know, arguing like what we should do next. And, you know, and Locke, you've got tracking skills. Yes, I do. But it's like, all right, but there's like a, a corpse like just they're in the distance here. <laughs> also, the fact that the person who murdered her is still at large and his priority is going on this, like for lack of a better way of putting it, fetch quest with mm. Locke. He's like, yeah, we'll get to the bottom of the murder mystery at some point, but we have oh, a yeah, different because, mystery to yeah, get to. Yeah, because they're not really... Because that, that's the thing. So 
Echo and Locke go out under the idea of we're going to track these people who killed our friends down. But Echo has no intention of that. No! He doesn't! And to me, that's bananas. For, For one, they don't have reason to suspect Michael. But, like... There's zero attempt to find the actual perpetrator. (laughs) I find that kind of bananas. Uh, Well, also, who behaves irrationally in this moment? Uh, My, my, the person I like to give the most shit about behaving irrationally all the time, Jack. Because Jack's like, we're gonna hunt them down. (laughs) I'm going out there. Give me the guns. I'm gonna kill these motherfuckers. And it's like, Jack, you're the only one who could maybe save Libby, who's dying. You're a doctor. Like, Jack's acting a little hot-headed. But look, I get it. They're angry. They've been attacked. People they care about are dead. But Jack, you gotta calm down. <laughs> I mean, we need a little, we need a, there needs to be a happy medium between Echo and Jack here in their behavior. Especially- I guess that would be Kate. Uh, or Sawyer. <laughs> Sawyer's oddly enough the the voice of reason on occasion. He's like, you can't go out playing cowboy when we need a doctor here. Don't be stupid. Uh, my big thing with with Echo though, lying about tracking down the perpetrator though, is like if you want to go on your little fetch quest, fine, you can do that. But like, I don't know, maybe send someone else to go and look for the actual perpetrator well, because it's... by lying about it that person's gonna get away <laughs> yeah it's true but there is no other per- well, i mean there's ben but there's no person <laughs> nobody they don't came know in that, there. though <laughs> i know i know <laughs> so so they do so echo because you know what you do i mean i think this is good advice down when you want to track people through the jungle you get the guy who can't really w- currently walk <laughs> only the best ones yes yeah, so, yeah, yeah indeed um but that's what they do hey, and don't they... tell him what he can't do well <laughs> it's true um but echo just wants to uh it, it becomes pretty clear to Locke, like what are we doing here and echo's like i need you to bring me to the question mark and Locke's like that's some nonsense right yeah, there. That's a bunch of nonsense. I'm the guy who believes in everything, and I don't believe in this, so that's nonsense. So Echo uh, headbutts him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's the way you that's, – that's what you do. You knock some sense into him. Uh, but then he wakes up, and Echo insists that this is what we have to do. Uh he doesn't know where this is, but John knows where the question mark is. John also, again, and this is something he did in the last episode, too. When the hatch is assigned to him, when it's like, oh, it's your hatch. He's like, no. Like, he is constantly now denying the hatch is his, where the hatch is clearly, like, he's the one most connected to. Mm. I was going to say, is that going to happen a third time? Because, uh, you know, like there a was a religious. Uh... There was an apostle that denied Jesus three times before the sun came up that one time. I don't know. I, I just and also just typical storytelling thing. Things usually come in threes. If you see something happen twice, usually it's going to happen one more time. So I don't know. Does that happen one more time? Uh, well, <laughs> it could. It could. I, I mean, I the hatch remember. isn't going to be around much longer. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it was your but, hatch. But John's also dealing with guilt. Like he blames himself for this, this uh, 
Anna Lucia thing because he lied to Jack in the previous episode. Not that you should have to run everything by fucking Jack, <laughs> but I guess in this case it backfired because he lied about what had happened between Ben and Anna. Where like Anna like slipped in the shower or something, <laughs> which is actually ridiculous. Um, but so I mean I get the guilt where John's coming from. But here's the other thing. Um, and Daryl, I'll ask you about this too. We've seen the map. We've seen mm-hmm. the map when the blast door came down, and Locke's like, Locke has recreated that map, and Locke basically tells Echo like, this map makes no sense. And I would argue that, uh, and disagree with me if you'd like, but that that map makes no sense. <laughs> that I don't know how you would follow a map like that. It's definitely not drawn to scale. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what your tracking skills are, Daryl, but... Uh... <laughs> I mean, it, it made me laugh, like, when I watched it, like, last week, and um, when Echo was looking at the piece of paper, and he was like, and these, and we have to, like, track it by um, by the river, because you did these wavy lines, didn't you, Locke? He's like, no, they're just wavy lines, they don't mean yeah. anything, <laughs> which made me laugh again. Which so. is so, it's true! <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, um, when... Anna and Saeed, you know, did their little quest uh, based on the map that Henry drew, where it's like, that this map means nothing. <laughs> this was not drawn to scale. This, is... this means nothing to me. I have enough trouble following the map on my iPhone to get places. Uh, how, I, yeah. how, you draw me a map on, like, a napkin or something? <laughs> it looks like uh, somebody trying to draw one of those maps on, like, the back of a restaurant placemat. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's, it's tra- like a kid's like a maze, and at the end there's treasure, and then you go and do that in reality. <laughs> um, so, but John, you know, but part of John's thing is he's lost his faith, even in his cartography skills. Can I just say how weird it is to see John Locke acting like Jack? It's not the first time it, it's happened, but like it whenever, won't be the last. yeah, whenever John Locke has a crisis of faith, he starts acting like Jack, and I don't know if it's an intentional directing or acting choice, but like he he doesn't just start acting like Jack because he's like denying that things are real or that you know these weird coincidences mean anything. Like it's almost like he takes on the mannerisms and delivery of Jack as well. Like, I don't think that's necessarily like you. I, we need you to imitate Matthew Fox for this scene. I, I think it's like just a deliberate like I'm I don't like I like literally somebody trying to convey that like this thing that you're talking about is nonsense. And it's the frustration that Jack is always feeling yeah. whenever he's talking to Locke. So I don't know. I just think it's really fun to see uh, Terry O'Quinn do those affectations. I think it's kind of funny. So they do get another sign, though, because Echo steps on a Virgin Mary statue. And we know what that means. Besides drugs, we know they're near the the plane. plane. The plane! Yemi's plane. (laughs) And basically this gives them an opportunity also to mention Boone again. And another interesting moment of loss of faith that Locke kind of in a real flippant way says Boone was a sacrifice the island demanded but he says in a way now that he doesn't seem to believe where he once said those exact lines before in a way that he truly believed 
Yeah, when I I watched this on Hulu and um, for I usually watch things with the subtitles on just so I don't miss anything. And um, in this part, when he says, you know, it was an a-, a sacrifice that the island demanded, it was in quotations. Um, so it, yeah, he he's like basically he's quoting himself. He's quoting himself, and um, the delivery this time is completely empty. So it's funny that he's he's recalling those words and that there's no there's no emotion behind it this time. There's just hollowness. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So basically, what they decide to do is you know rest and wait instructions, and those instructions do come back to echo via dream, <laughs> via dream involving following Yemi up a cliff. Uh, Daryl, knowing what we know about the series as a whole, mm. are these visions the the man in black? Is that what Yemi is? Is that what are they being guided by? Because we know that eventually he inhabits Locke. So is all this really just part of that plan? Or are we getting, because we also know... That there are ghosts on the island. We know that from the final season. Don't say that with such disgust, Megan. Um, or is it really his brother? Or is it... what? I mean, what do you think? I think these dreams is Yemi. I, th- I think it is. Um, because when you actually see... Like, another spoiler alert for Yemi. When, it's in, when you see him again in next season, he's got a totally different tone when he's talking yes. to Echo. And that's not a dream. That's just, you know, interacting with him. And in these dreams, I think this second one, when, he, when Echo was climbing up the vines, I think this was Locke's dream. Um, yeah. It, oh, you're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. Yes. But it's confusing yeah. because yeah. Locke isn't in his own dream. He's dreaming about Echo and Yemi. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I actually thought that was a bit creepy, actually, when you saw Echo, like, kind of climb up the vines. And you see Yemi in the wheelchair going, wake up, John. I, just, I don't know why. I just find that a little bit um, creepy, but good in a sense. It just kind of shows well, that. It's super creepy because Locke shouldn't know what Yemi looks like. Yeah. 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 So that's, I think, something, an added layer to that's kind of unsettling. There's like, wait, why would he be dreaming about Echo's brother? That. That, I think, is the thing that really indicates that something supernatural is going on. Like, it's not just dream nonsense. Something supernatural is going on. And whether that's a ghost or whether it's the man in black or whether it's Jacob, up for debate, probably. But, yeah, I, I, I'd buy that it was Yemi. And when Locke does wake up, he tells Echo the dream, just a dream. But Locke knows. Locke knows it's, it's not just a dream. Because the last time he had a creepy dream, it was of a completely bloody boon, you know, reciting nonsense. Up the steps, goes down the steps. Um, But Echo's like, oh, in the dream I climbed up there, I'm climbing up there. (laughs) So he starts climbing. You also fell! (laughs) (laughs) He's climbing up there, using the axe to help him climb. Um, The entire time he's climbing, Locke is screaming, Echo? (laughs) Echo, <laughs> that's not gonna help him. <laughs> that's, yeah, gonna be distracting yeah. if anything. Um, he's already up there, but then when he gets up, he looks down, and what does he see? A question. A mark. question mark. It's like in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> X marks the spot. 
<laughs> X never marks the spot except for this one time. <laughs> Question mark marks the spot. <sighs> and uh, what had happened? They had clearly they had salted the earth there so they could. So leave nothing this, would grow. So nothing would grow, and there could be a giant question mark on the ground, uh, as you do. And it's a they, pretty big coincidence that the plane landed right on top of one of these sites. Well, don't use the word coincidence with this show, because then you can use it for everything. Um, so, I mean, you either believe that, you either, wait a second, you either with this show, you either believe that there's some sort of island magic divine. Hand of fate. It, yeah. Hand of fate, or everything's a coincidence. I assure you, it's a much more interesting show if you just don't say, like, well, that's a strange coincidence. <laughs> um, so what Will, Will, what you're saying is just don't think about it? <laughs> no, they, they set up that it's more than just coincidence. But that's an argument that we'll have every episode till every the end day of the series. from now until the day we die. <laughs> um, but anyway, what they find, they find another hatch. And then for a brief, fleeting moment here Locke is excited again he asked no. to do the honors even to... oh poor baby poor John Locke and they find a hatch and they climb down excited John Locke they climb down into the hatch and what's in this hatch wall of TV monitors and when they turn them on it's cameras looking at another there's a lot of creepy things in it but yeah. that, that somebody could be monitoring them yeah that's a little unsettling. A lot and, of really good, creepy stuff in this episode. And they go, they print a log out of, I guess, what they're monitoring. And there are notebooks filled with notes. And there's a pneumatic tube. And by the way, pneumatic tubes, they should make a comeback. I've seen them a lot. <laughs> I think we should always be putting things in those i think it's fun i recently rewatched the movie brazil they're all over that movie uh <laughs> have you used one in real life yeah i've never used one. Oh, i've used one in, uh, back in new york uh the bank i used to go to had a drive-through teller but the way you would give them the money or get the things you put it in the tube and you put the thing in and go whoosh, and it go, yeah. That's so cool. It was great. Daryl, have you ever used one in real life? Because I've only ever seen them on TV in, in cartoons. I, I haven't, but Will, I have questions about this drive through bank. I mean, this <laughs> this sounds like this could be on Shark Tank, like a drive through <laughs> bank. This sounds amazing, Will. <laughs> it was, yeah, you'd pull up and you'd be like, oh, I need to, I need to, uh, you'd just pull up and you'd like say into like the intercom, like, oh, I need to cash this check. And you put the check in the tube and the tube whoosh, do you guys and not then, have drive wow. drive up ATMs in in the UK? <laughs> no, we've only just got drive through Starbucks, so I think this is down the line. <laughs> <laughs> we do have to drive them, but this is long. This is before anyone was using ATMs on the regular. Uh, you would you would put your you put your money in tubes. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so archaic and yet so awesome. It's one of the pneumatic tubes, and not to turn this into a pneumatic tube uh, podcast. But they're one of those things that seems simultaneously futuristic, futuristic and old-fashioned. Yes. Like, it, it seems like the, the – it's like someone from the 1950s dreaming up the future. Yeah. You know, that's what 
then there'll be tubes everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and I love it. Uh, That's the back, future I want to live in. Bring back tubes. Um, but then they find an orientation video. And the orientation video is for, they, they put it in, and they discover that this place is called the Pearl. And Which, uh, I'll be honest, when we first go into the, the normal hatch, you know, the hatch that our crew finds, it took me years before I actually realized <coughs> that that was a swan. Oh, really? Yeah, because I knew it was called the swan. I didn't, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I actually didn't notice the swan until I was watching this episode last <laughs> night. And then, um, by years, I mean yesterday <laughs> is when I found out. I was today years old. And so the, the pearl... Um, Instead of having an insignia on it, it's just this big white circle in the middle of the Dharma Initiative logo, which I, I guess is what's supposed to indicate it's the pearl. So they watch this video and they discover that this is a monitoring station and there is a psychological experiment going on for the people in the swamp. Why boo? Why boo? <laughs> Let me finish here. And we see, like, you know, more of what the Dharma Initiative was up to. They were up to these psychological experiments, seeing people push a button, and it was very important that they take notes, and the, we see a little more footage of the... Uh, at the end, there's, like, a... It's dated, 1980, the Hanzo Foundation, and... So now we are led to believe that people pushing a button in there is a psychological experiment. Which is what Jack was saying all along, which this breaks but, Locke's heart. But it's also not. See, this is, again, like the miracle in the psychic. It's a psychological experiment, and they're clearly being monitored by somebody for that purpose. But also, that button does something because we'll see, we'll see what happens when they don't push it. In a couple episodes. And see, this is my big problem. Daryl, let, let us know whether or not you feel the same. Because mm -hmm. my big problem with this here is that, like, the button actually does prevent disaster from happening. Why run, like, if, like, it's so important to actually press this button, why not set up a system to make sure the world is never actually in danger? Why would you leave it to why would you leave it down to two people who are going insane and then monitoring that and going, "Yes, let's see how long we can keep them like keep this up before they go insane." Why would you leave this very very important potentially world-altering thing to chance the Dharma initiative? You make no sense. <laughs> I kind of feel like the pill was almost like a detention for like people of the Dharma <laughs> Initiative who were, had like who kind of like maybe did some um, disciplinary measures and their punishment was going to the pill and just writing for eight hours of what people did in the swan. <laughs> yeah, what are you, what are those notes? Like? Sat there, yeah, sat there, <laughs> yeah. pushed button, pushed button, played ping pong, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listen to music. The but on the plus, <laughs> how can anything be detention when then you get to put that notebook in a pneumatic tube? No, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's the treat, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, after they watch this, I mean, look, it's it's sending mixed messages. Yes, mm. to but, say the least. But yeah. it's also, that button doesn't prevent the world from ending. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody. I mean, <laughs> when it when it ends up not getting pushed, it really just causes more disaster on the island, not for the world in general. So, when the video is over, Echo's like, "Do you want to see that again?" Because that's what why. Nice callback. Nice callback, but this time again, because he's now lost faith, much like with the Boone line, he's he's like, "No, I've seen enough," and. Echo is like, this is the most important, pushing that button is the most important thing we can be doing. Like, this is so important. And Locke is confounded by this. Because basically, he's just been told. I mean, it's another disappointment in life. Echo says, we, we uh, do it because we believe we are meant to. But Locke's attitude now is that... Every second of his life has been as useless as the button. <laughs> um, oh, poor John. And Echo kind of basically concludes this with he tells Locke about Yemi and tells him about the Ooh. plane, being on the plane. And after hearing that, how can you say this is meaningless? And Echo will push that button because that Echo is going to push that button. He believes that button is important. Daryl, you buy into Echo. Like you, <laughs> I mean, what's your take on the button at this point? Like, I, I get what, I get to a point what Echo is saying, but I guess at this point I would be more agreeing <laughs> with Locke. Uh, you know? What, I mean, what, what do you, what do you, how do, where do you fall? I mean, it's, I mean, when I first saw this, I mean, I was confused, first of all, because I just thought, well, why would you want to monitor something that's going to save the world, in a sense, with this button? And the more I've kind of, like, watched the episode, and, of course, like, subsequent seasons and everything, I kind of feel like it was more as a way to kind of, like... Because let's not forget, it wasn't just a swan that was being monitored. It was, like, the flame. It was um, the, the arrow. It was other ones as well. So I kind of feel like it was more monitoring, like, just how people were reacting to this. And maybe it was kind of giving maybe the Dharma initiative almost kind of like feedback into how they could improve the stations and maybe build some more as well perhaps um but that's really all it's I like when you that. fill out a, a, a <laughs> those notebooks are basically like an evaluation you fill out at work yeah well yeah. what yeah. the the justification i can think of is that like you know obviously the pressing the button does prevent disaster from happening and you want to monitor the mental health of the people that you've put in charge of that. So if they start exhibiting signs of deterioration, you can do something about it. You can act on it, except they never do. Um, <laughs> so I, I understand the monitoring from that perspective and not necessarily wanting to tell the people in charge of monitoring the true nature of this because it's like, oh, shoot, like if we just, you know, tell people that they're watching people you know pressing a button that saves the world quote unquote that like that i don't know that like the the more people we tell the the more likely it is that the secret is going to get out so i understand discretion in that regard that's the only justification i can think of mm. for like this is actually a mental experiment they don't like that like the button doesn't do anything we're just watching them to see how long the rats will you know walk through the maze that's the only justification for it i can think of but at the same time when echo 
Will, I want to ask, like, when Echo is saying pushing this button is the most important thing in the world, could you hear my voice far away going, is it though? Oh, you're watching this. You're watching this late at night, and that's the noise that woke me up at like one in the morning. I realized that now. I wasn't sure like why I was shook awake. Like, uh. Um, but yeah, I that so yeah to go off what, what Daryl was saying, I could see that being the Dharma Initiative's I, aim there. I think uh, some of this stuff. I mean, look, we're, this isn't the last of Locke and Echo arguing about button pushing <laughs> so we're gonna dive deeper into that in the next couple episodes because lock ins or um echo insists that they're being tested like yes. that the the mm. reason that it seems like nothing matters is because they're being tested but it, it does matter is and that's his idea anyway i don't know so while the boys are out on this mission there are other things when going they should on. be looking for a murderer <laughs> yes <laughs> but the murderer is already in their midst the killer's inside the hatch. <laughs> um, Michael's acting real, like, nervous about all this. Yeah. And... This is good dramatic tension. He's like, hey, did uh, Libby say anything? Libby say anything? <laughs> Libby, what'd she say? She have anything to say? Is she dead yet? Oh, <laughs> um, And all Jack can do is make her more comfortable. But in order to do that, he needs heroin. Yep. And you know what? You know, kudos to this show for for paying off um, that line a couple episodes ago of like, oh, we could use it for medicinal purposes. Like that's yeah. a good payoff. That's a good payoff. Um, and basically, Sawyer's like, I'll I'll get the heroin from my stash, but it's like, well, Kate's gonna go with you. And it's because that now Jack's going to be able to find out where the stash is. And Sawyer, because Sawyer, at the end of the day, is a good guy, he's going to give up the location of the stash, go with Kate, to make sure uh, Libby... He's as comfortable as as she can be as she dies. And, uh, you know, they're heading towards, back towards the beach. There's a little... There's a little uh, conversation briefly about, like, how'd Anna get that gun? How could she get your gun? <laughs> and Sawyer's like, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, look! <laughs> look at all these drugs! <laughs> look at these! <laughs> and they go into his tent, and she's like, I thought you were taking me to the stash. But guess what? The stash was in the tent all along. I can't tell if that's clever or I short-sighted of him. No, I think it's clever, because no one would think to look there and he can keep an eye on it you put it's, it out in the jungle so like a boar a boar's gonna eat that heroin <laughs> it's funny because i i think it's both i think it's no one would ever think to look here and also it's also the first place everyone would look <laughs> <laughs> like it really pushed to it like if sawyer disappeared or something i feel like like if he got lost in the jungle or something and somebody really wanted to make a a play for the guns or whatever. Like, I do think that they'd search his place. Uh, Daryl, you have a secret stash. You keep it close to home like that? <laughs> yeah, my, my gin is, like, all very safely tucked away in, like, a secret floorboard, and no one knows where it is, so it's great. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's, uh, I've got bottles of whiskey under in the toilet. 
Ah. Like in the toilet tank. Have you have you seen the original Black Christmas? I only bring this up because we were talking about oh, it before I have the not. holiday. I have not. Um, the uh, sorority house mom hides bottles of booze like all around the house. She has like secret stashes of it everywhere. There she has go. a real problem. <laughs> so, um, of course, once on the beach, they run into Hurley. And they're like, oh, oh well, maybe uh, something happened, Hurley. Um, they tell Hurley. Hurley comes back to the hatch, obviously. He wants, uh, you know, he gets a moment with Libby. Really great from yeah. Jorge Garcia. This great performance. So good. Also, the scenes where he's talking to Michael and he's like, I'm glad you're no. okay. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm glad at least you're okay, Michael. And, uh. And he's kicking himself for forgetting those blankets. Again, he should have really remembered those blankets. You're going on a picnic, but I digress. And uh, the last moment of Libby. Libby's has like a little bit of moment of like clarity or consciousness before she dies. And she's able to say, Michael, Michael. And they're like, oh, it's okay. Michael's okay. He's okay. How sweet in your final moment of life to worry about somebody else. Like, you were a good person, Libby. <laughs> now and you just die. see the hope die in her eyes right before she does. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I mean, it's rough. Oh. It's rough. Um, before we, uh, and that's pretty much the episode. Now, before we, we're going to do our little uh, Man in Black Jacob good moment, bad moment thing. Uh, but is there anything else about these final sequences of Libby's life that you would like to add, Daryl, before we get into that? There is one. I mean, you touched upon when um, Sawyer and Kate were on the beach and then Hurley goes, oh, hey, where's Libby? And I, had to, I have to say, it was a really nice touch, I thought, when you see like, like a wide shot of Kate telling Hurley what's happened. And there's no words. There's like kind of yes. soft piece of music and that's it. And you kind of see him like react. And I think that's fantastic like just how how that plays out and then it just quickly cuts to like a tree um like slowly going from dawn to dusk and i just feel like it's a really nice touch and kind of just it's those moments where no words need to be said it's just it just happens and i think it's really nice yeah i i really liked that moment too there there are some moments of excellent filmmaking in this particular episode um yeah, there's like there's a, a shot too of um, the broken Virgin Mary statue on the table, and Kate starts to cry, and Sawyer, you know, comforts her. Like the shot, like the with the where the the broken statue is in the foreground compared to Kate in the background. Like it's good cinematography. There's good stuff in this show. Mm-hmm. Ah, Darren Sarafina in his first lost directing job did a good job. Yeah, he did. He did. Good good cinematography. Well, now that we're we're on to our man in blacks and Jacobs of the episode or or, or light and our dark or, or good and evil. Uh, I'm going to start because we're, we're talking about Hurley and actually as great as Jorge Garcia is, as great as all his moments are, my man in black has to do with him a little bit. What? Mm. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> because as he forgot good, the blankets? As good as it... No, no, no. no. As, but, but to a point, as good as this episode is, the timing makes no sense. And this is the one thing that drove me a little crazy. So a night has passed. Did he not go look for where Libby is? Did he just think he got stood up, I guess? What? Like, a long time has passed. 
before Hurley has decided to, I guess, start asking, start asking about where Libby went off to. And it just seems the day and night timing of this episode it's seems like a little you, off. You feel like he would have gone to the hatch like after the sun had gone down and she hadn't come back. Like, well, he knew she was going to the hatch to get blankets. It's, I mean, look, it's a small thing. I have to find... See, I'm forced every week, Daryl, to find a bad thing in the episode. So, so it's look, it's a small thing that doesn't... Like, I'm caught up in the emotion. It doesn't bother me. But really, the day-for-night timing of this episode is a little off and doesn't make some logical sense. That's my man in black. Uh, Megan... What what is your man in black? Psychic inconsistency, man. Who is this guy, Richard? <laughs> His name is Richard, right? Yep. What is this he's guy's a, deal? He's a man of mystery. <laughs> I would like some consistency with this motherfucker. I just don't understand him. Are you a con man? And if you are a con man, why did you insist uh, that it's important that Claire get to this island? And if you're not a con man and you really did experience a psychic phenomenon, why did you send her to an island where so many people wanted to steal her baby? I don't understand you. He is a con man who can't deal with the fact that he has been momentarily touched by God in miracles. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, I mean, I say that kind of funny, but it, that's, I, I think that's kind of what it is. Like, I, I buy that, and I, I accept that as an answer. But again, why send her to an island where everyone wanted her baby? Um, Daryl, what is your man in black? I feel like it is just the flashback itself, because the whole point of it was really just for Charlotte to tell Echo that... You know, Yemi says that he was a good man, and that's it. You know, and we've had to have the padding of the the psychic, whether or not he is, you know, a psychic in certain things. And then you got the haunting, um, you know, autopsy recording as well, um, which doesn't help. But yeah, I just feel like it almost kind of like drags the whole episode down slightly because we want to find out what the question mark is, and then soon in some episode we're just kind of thinking right so is he a psycho or not and it's it's kind of like a weird kind of like you know to and fro and and then you got the murder thing as well which is um a bit uneven but yeah that's pretty much it that's fair like i uh, agree with that i, I see what you, i see where there, there are things you could have done in that flashback that could have uh, uh that could have tied into yeah. the narrative a little bit well, better and like especially with the the question mark thing because we're, we're also having dream sequences on top of with yemi yeah in them already it's like maybe that information could have gone out that way with that said for my jacob uh i'm I always try to, there. I always try to, because I don't want to do necessarily an overarching theme we've already discussed personally. You can yeah. do whatever you want. But if I want to take an individual thing that I think is done well, like that tape recording freaked me out. <laughs> like when that <laughs> autopsy so guy, like yeah. just a small thing, when that autopsy guy's like, I don't, I never want to listen to it. I don't want it here. Like kind of thing. I felt that. Yeah. Like I'm like, I wouldn't want that around. It reminds me. Uh, I know we're running long, but it's okay. but it reminds me of you ever see the mo- the documentary Grizzly Man? No, with, uh, that Werner Herzog did about the guy who real guy who went like twenty 
summers spent up in Alaska camping amongst grizzly oh, I've seen bears. That. That's great. Yeah, it's a great film, and then eventually the guy was well, he was eaten, mm. oh and he God. would film this stuff. And there is a audio recording of him being killed by the bear. And there's a scene where Herzog listens, like the this friend of his, she has the audio recording. She's never listened to it. Herzog listens to it. He doesn't play it in the film. He just listens to it. And when he ends, he goes like, "You should never listen to this." Like, you should, you should, like, destroy this. Like, never listen to this. Promise me you won't. Because it's so horrific. And I don't know. I had That always gave me chills in that movie. And I feel like this is one of those moments. Never listen to this thing. <laughs> it's too horrific. Uh, Megan, what's yours? Um, now, now I'm lamenting that we'll never get, like, the horror movie <laughs> of, uh, of Mr. Echo just investigating um, alleged miracles. I would watch that. I would watch that horror movie. It would be great. I'd love it. Um, there are some really good moments uh, in this um, in this episode. I'm gonna give it to um, I'm gonna give it to the performance when because even though I I have I feel very wishy washy about like all things Dharma Initiative, I'm gonna give it to the I'm torn between the moment I was just talking about with Kate. Um, and that shot of the Virgin Mary statue. But I think I'm actually going to give it to the moment where Mr. Echo says, how can you say this is a coincidence? And he tells his backstory to Locke. Mm, that's um, good. That's a good performance. It's, it's a, a good great story. performance. And it, you know, basically summarizes one of the best episodes this series has ever done. Um, just in regards to his initial flashback episode. So like any any ties back to that is is really cool and I I just thought it was a very powerful moment so I'm gonna give it to that. Daryl, what's yours? I mean I said like in the beginning like with the dynamic between Echo and Locke and I thought that was really well done but to be honest I think the shining example is really just the cinematography and the direction really of um, you know Darren Seraph. Being, I hope I've pronounced his name right. <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably pronouncing it wrong too. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, I mean, I just kind of love just how it was all kind of played. I mean, I know I've said about kind of my my con for the um, flashback itself, but when you've got like say three main storylines, you know, all going on at once, and you've got the direction, you've got like say the the jump scares, you know, as you've said, you know, say Libby and the autopsy. I mean, it's done really well. You don't expect it, and also with the flashbacks as well. Yemi in the wheelchair, and yeah. then you get the this. climbing itself, yeah. the overhead shots of that. I mean, yeah. it's it's visually a little different than stuff we were getting in the average episode. Yeah, and especially when it comes to the pearl as well. I mean, you kind of almost kind of feel like that that claustrophobia while I sat like watching that video of Marvin Candle again. You kind of get the feeling that there, there used to be two people there just writing notes, like you no, know, yeah. you know, so so long. And I just think it's just the. I think that's the shining thing out of this episode, really. Well, overall, I, I think Question Mark's a good episode. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's a good episode. I just, you know, I just get frustrated with little things like the psychic and um, the Dharma Initiative stuff. Like, I just get frustrated with whole... those things because they tie into larger issues I have with the show as a yeah. whole. Mm. But, like, this is a great episode. Um, okay, well, Daryl, thank you so much for coming on calling all the way uh, over from England. Before we go, tell the people 
where they can find you, your work, everything. Plug away. This is your plug time. Plug away. <laughs> Amazing. So um, I'm pretty much can be found on Twitter. So it's just um, at Daryl Baxter. And I do a fair bit of freelance writing with games and tech and soon-to-be movies. And I also do a podcast. It's a gaming one called Pal Keys where I interview a guest every couple of weeks about their favorite game and boss stage. And we talk about their profession and everything else in between. And that's for an hour. And yeah, that's pretty much me. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I got to give that a listen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, Same. <laughs> yeah definitely. It sounds like, it sounds like, a, it sounds like a, a good concept for a gaming podcast. Too. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we're going to have someone who's going to talk about Lost the Game. Because I think that's going to be a topic to talk about. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a video game? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I <laughs> never played AR- it. I know it this exists. This isn't the ARG but... thing, right? This is like straight up a video game. Yeah. What, yeah. what system was it for? Um, PlayStation 2. You could actually walk through the hatch and you found like a different room. And it had its whole little plot um, during, I think, between season two and three. So, yeah, it's pretty random. That's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, Megan. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams where me and my co-host talk about horror things. And I am a, mo- a member of Rooster Team Radio. And right now we are in the middle of our show, Ruby Redux, where we're talking about this volume of Ruby. And the last two volumes of Ruby have been really, really good, guys. So if you're not caught up on that show, get caught up and then listen to our podcast. It's great. And you can follow me on Twitter at the real Will Link. And you can buy my book. Do it. Uh, I, I wrote a novel. It's called Crazy About Kurt. It takes place in the 90s. It's about teenagers in the 90s over one day. That day happens to be the day they uh, found out Kurt Cobain died. And, um, yeah, if you like things like American Graffiti or uh, Dazed and Confused, you will like this book. It's available on Amazon, Crazy About Kurt. And you can follow us on Twitter at No Love Lost Pod. So, Daryl, once more, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. And see you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. 
And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will hmm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. Uh, not as frequently as usual. <laughs> but you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, these are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. We're on the same network. <laughs> so yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. <laughs> you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>